0: Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. The nation's biggest newspaper company. I'm John Kennedy coming to you from Gannett's Florida Capital Bureau in Tallahassee. And I'm joined this week by Antonio Fins, the political editor of the Palm Beach Post. He's uh, reporting to us today from Surfside, Florida. Hello, Antonio.
1: Hey, John, how are you?
0: We're doing good. And uh, also joining us is Ryan McKinnon of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Ryan was a uh, witness to some history over the Fourth of July weekend. Uh, We'll have more on this in just a few minutes. But uh, until then, Ryan, we're glad to have you on. Thanks, John. Good to have you here this is uh summer so uh some of our usual cast of characters uh well they're scattered uh our, our own zach anderson is vacationing but hey i think we've got a power packed lineup here today so uh we're going to talk a little bit about uh what the surfside collapse is telling us about florida building and condominium law um the return of donald trump to a jam-packed Sarasota fairgrounds last week and uh, the assassination of Haiti's president that's uh, sending shockwaves through its uh, northern neighbor here in Florida and the uh, state's sizable Haitian community. But, uh, But first, that music means it's time to pick a number. Antonio, I hope you brought a good one this week.
1: I did, but you know what? You're going to be disappointed, John, because no decimals. I'm just going with straight 41.
0: 41. Yeah, you've, you've simplified, Antonio. Usually you uh, take us into many digit places. Um, well, Ryan, you, you're, you're
1: not, our get- not here, so I have to impress him. Uh, that's very true.
0: That's very true. Uh, Ryan, you're our guest star this week, so uh, I'm expecting a stratospheric number.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, my number for today is 45. Okay. Okay. Slightly larger than Antonio's.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have a 41 from Antonio, a 45 from Ryan, and my number is 28. We'll get back to those later in the show when we have our uh, big number reveal. But uh, uh, for now, uh, Antonio, I hope you still have some fireworks left over from the 4th for that reveal. But uh, let's revisit, though, where you are in Surfside and what's on the minds of many Floridians and... Really, it just remains a global story. The uh, collapse of the Champlain Tower South condominium tower in Surfside. Uh, We're into the third week now of search and recovery efforts. Uh, Still dozens of residents unaccounted for. And it's a tragedy whose developments, you know, we're just watching unfold daily. Uh, Antonio, what, what, what impact could this have on Florida going forward?
1: Well, it, it's going to have a sizable impact. I can tell you right now that you know, yesterday I, I'm here in Surfside. We're I'm literally across the street from the uh, the uh, disaster site. Um, as the mayor of uh, Charles Burketta, Surfside, told us yesterday, you know, this is a, a catastrophe of global proportions. Um, not just because it's such a shocking, um, you know, just tragedy, but also the the number of. Uh, Foreign, It's such a diverse community here, and there were a lot of people from other countries that lived in that tower and then have been lost. Uh, Yesterday, the news was, of course, the the saddest news that everyone was fearing and braced for, which was that that would be it, that the the search and rescue mission would become a search and recovery operation, which means that there is really no hope of uh, finding people alive in the rubble, and instead, that they are now going through the process of finding bodies and removing them as well. I just came from a briefing. Uh, Governor DeSantis was there, as was well uh, Mayor Miami-Dade Mayor uh, uh, Danielle Levine Cava, and they talked about the efforts going forward. And this is going to be a long-term. Issue. We're talking about things like governor was talking about perhaps suspending property taxes on the impacted. You know, obviously, if you've just lost your your condo, if you've just lost your property, to be now told that you have to pay property taxes uh, would just be uh, a monumental insult on top of the of the horrific loss of life and and property. So, I mean, there's just we're now getting into the weeds of all these different. Issues that have to be dealt with, you know. The, then, of course, on the federal side, you, uh, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz was also in the briefing, and she is talking about appropriations, uh, getting the federal government to appropriate money for the cost, not just of this massive, you know, search and recovery operation, but also helping the victims, people who are who lost their homes and trying to get back, back on their feet. As she said, no one ever budgets for these disasters, but when they happen you have to adjust and, and you have to react. So we are really getting into now the, the really long-term, beyond recovery of yeah, Antonio bringing closure to family. Yeah.
0: And Antonio, I think Hello. you
1: got it. Yeah. Go back a little
0: bit and start again. Really? Say, say, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're coming and going.
1: All right. Let me see if I can, where, where do you want me to start? I mean, I if I well, can, that sounds good yeah. right now, the way you have right it fair? yeah. Okay, I, I'll try not to move at all. So where, yeah. where do you want me to start again?
0: Um, well, you, you, you could go back to the Wasserman Schultz area and start up again.
1: All right, okay. I'll do that, and I, I just won't move here. Hopefully this uh, helps. Um, but, you know, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz was there, was also debriefing. She was talking about potential federal appropriations dollars to help finance and pay for the recovery operation, but also to start addressing the needs of those individuals who have now been displaced, who've lost their homes, they've lost everything that they had, and, and trying to help them piece their lives together again. As she said, no one ever budgets for these disasters, but when they happen, you have to react, you have to adjust, and you have to you know you have to step in and assist. So we're lo- really looking at, you know, the first is, is, is three, uh, three impacts here. One is recovery of the victims, bringing closure to family, Second is these efforts to help those who've been displaced and are effectively homeless and have lost every possession they had. And then the third area is going to be you know, the, the long-term impact on Florida's real estate market, particularly the condominium market. And we've been hearing from real estate agents who are now raising, you know, getting queries from potential buyers and renters, like, wait a minute, you know I want to hear about this building. Particularly older buildings are coming under a lot of more scrutiny. Uh, they want to hear about inspections and they want to hear about the condition of the buildings. Now, up until June 24th, at about right after midnight when this building imploded, up until that point, you know, Florida's real estate market was the hottest thing, you know, under the sun. And people were buying condo units and townhomes and single-family homes sight unseen, particularly a lot of people from the Northeast and the, who basically realized during the pandemic that they could work remotely. And now, you know, they want to buy a home in Florida and move here. Well, well, you're going to get a bit of a slowdown now. Uh, Now, I think, John, you guys reported that the governor said the other day that, you know, he didn't really see a need for a massive inspection of all Florida buildings. But I'm telling you, we're hearing from real estate agents that people are raising questions. Yeah, I know. I
0: know from my own reporting that there are, you know, legal and legislative minds already at work on this, trying to gauge just how far to go with regulatory changes. Uh, You know, things are being discussed, like, do we need a new fund created by the Florida Legislature, sort of like our own uh, uh, citizens' property insurance, to uh, to help uh, aging condominium buildings that face massive renovation expenses, sort of like what was behind the delay at uh, uh, this Champlain South when it came to uh, getting a lot of this uh, work done that was needed? Uh, d- does the state have to have some kind of fund that uh, condos could uh, could tap? Um, does does local government have to bolster its building departments uh, taking a much more serious role as a Public safety watchdog. Now you know when when assessing the quality of buildings and what is needed to make them safe with uh, these you know aging buildings across the state. Um, and uh, then of course there's condo boards. You know how much responsibility can you put in the hands of maybe a half dozen volunteers who say they'll serve on their condo board? And uh, then when they're confronted with uh, making decisions that could have the you know, the lives of their fellow residents at stake, basically. The, uh, the, the state legislature so far does not seem to be looking to uh, confront those questions. Uh, Governor DeSantis, as you mentioned, Antonio, this week uh, seemed to point to the problems that this one building You know, Champlain Tower South had for a long time, but, uh, you know, he too isn't talking about this being a real, what, sea change moment when it comes to regulation. Uh, I know the Florida Bar has created a panel to start examining some of these issues with an idea toward recommending a legislative package, but really for now, it just seems like there's a a lot of hope that this will emerge as something of an isolated, uh, glaring problem with a single building. But, um, you know, investigations going on now may lead to some recommendations, but this is, uh, clearly going to be a long-standing story in Florida for months to come. But, um, you know, wh- when it comes to more familiar ground, we can, we can always go back to uh, the ultimate Florida man, Donald Trump, uh- <laughs> Ryan, we we were talking about your brush with history over the 4th of July weekend. But, uh, you know, you were there at a packed house that uh, Trump uh, performed before at the Sarasota Fairgrounds. Uh, I I noted in your story, you mentioned how the song Macho Man played at least five times. But Ron DeSantis didn't get a mention from the former president. Uh, That that made me start thinking, you know, what's happened to that bromance?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, Macho Man almost seemed like it was on a loop. It was stuck in my head for most of the evening. But uh, with regards to the governor and former President Trump, you know, headed into the rally, I don't think anyone expected Trump to praise DeSantis, even though they have that bromance, as you say, um, because they're both rumored contenders for 2024. Um, Before the rally began, I was wondering, you know, if DeSantis isn't there like he was not, would Trump turn the guns on him? But as the rally progressed, I was talking with a lot of folks and kind of was coming to the realization that no one really had an option. The optics would have been so bad for DeSantis if he left Surfside to go to a Trump rally, uh, that I think basically no one in Republican leadership really expected him to be there by the time Saturday rolled around. and. For Trump, who, you know, obviously has no problem starting petty feuds, attacking the wildly popular Republican governor for not attending his rally while he's at funeral services for people who are died and people who are still missing during an ongoing search and rescue mission, that might have even been, you know, a bridge too far for Trump. So at the end of the day, I don't think anyone really had an option. And I think what Trump did was simply not mention uh, the governor, which – Speaks volumes in itself. Um, you know, he might be just keeping his ammo dry for when the inevitable conflict arises. Um, he had, you know, no problem thanking lots of other much lower-level elected Florida leaders, you know, even state legislators at certain points. Um, but I think the president knew attacking Ron DeSantis basically at the peak of his popularity in the middle of a crisis and from of some of his biggest fans just wasn't the best route. So... Uh, ultimately, I'm not sure what the the takeaway is. I don't. I, I think him not mentioning him is the most noteworthy thing, though. Yeah,
0: that is an interesting thing. So you know, Trump went on for about 90 minutes. I guess his his usual show, right, featuring a lot of his uh, usual shtick: uh, election fraud, uh, lock up Fauci, Biden's ruin in the country, etc. But uh, Antonio, is, is it, do you, do you think there's a a shift going on here, and how? Trump is being received or, um, you know, maybe at least are things changing between Trump and DeSantis, uh, some kind of rift in Republican land?
1: Yeah, John, you know what? DeSantis didn't get a shout out from Trump. But you know what? Last week he did get a tap on the, on the arm from President Joe Biden in Surfside in a uh, bipartisan roundtable and show of bipartisan support for the, you know, the search and rescue operation here in Surfside. So you, know, you got that much. Look, uh, in terms of the bromance, I wouldn't worry too much about it. The fact of the matter is, you know, Trump and DeSantis need each other. And as Ryan just pointed out, you know, the last thing Trump is going to do is attack DeSantis, who's an incredibly popular figure, particularly among Florida Republicans, just as Trump is. So there's no point in getting into a fight between the, you know, with, with the two of them. You know, and Trump, after all, let's face it, he's really transactional. If you want a shout out, then you have to go to his rally. And, and besides, we also know that Trump is not an empathetic guy. So the fact that DeSantis says, hey, listen, I got a major tragedy on the on the west, on the east side of the state and in a potential hurricane hitting the west side of the state, to Trump, that really doesn't, you know, you know to him, it doesn't really compute. Trump is thinking, OK, just go down to the, after the hurricane, toss a few towels and you're good. But that's, you know, it, it's a different it, it's a different calculation for Trump, and particularly with Trump's base. And Ryan can tell us more. He was there at that rally. You know, this is I saw a little bit of it. Um, you know, it was basically the the grievance hits, and you know, the, this dystopian American carnage, dark view, where the the country is, is is the thugs are taking over the country, and there's rampant you know criminality from the border and all this, and the only guy that can rescue everybody is Trump, almost like a you know, almost like a an, an Avenger, you know, a, a yeah. Captain America, Iron Man, Batman, Superman all rolled into one. Now, that's kind of the show. That's kind of the presentation he gives. And and at the end of the day, that rally is all about Trump. It doesn't matter who else is there or not. It's about Trump. And that's what people come to see. So, yeah, yeah. look, I, look at, at, at the end of the day, Trump is somebody, Trump and DeSantis uh, will have this, this romance will re-blossom. Unless, of course, in 2024 they become rivals, but that's in 2024. We're still in 2021, and we have plenty of other Trump news to watch, including the indictment of the Trump Organization by New York Manhattan prosecutors last week, and then this other this lawsuit, this class action lawsuit that Trump announced yesterday that he is suing in the Southern District of Florida all these social media companies uh, who you know this is part of that whole Red Meat attack on media. Search- Media and, and conservatives feeling saying that they are being canceled. And uh, uh, so we, we're, we're going to have a lot more to watch between now and, and 2024 uh, when we find out who, you know, where that, where that bromance goes.
0: That's true. Yeah, it, it does kind of make me wonder, though, too, as you're speaking of superheroes there a moment ago, if Trump is looking at DeSantis now as a kind of Frankenstein that he created that now poses a threat to him. Uh, you know, I wrote last month about how DeSantis had raised almost $30 million just since the end of February, with almost half of the money coming in out of uh, from out-of-state donors. And that came since the uh, Conservative Political Action Conference poll had him as the uh, attendees favorite for president after after Trump, uh, if Trump chose not to run, uh, and then just uh, not too long after that, a uh, just last month, uh, a Western conservative summit gathering had him as the favorite overall, even uh, topping Trump. So, uh, you know, at some point, if Trump remains serious about running in 2024, and DeSantis keeps getting all the accolades as Trump, uh, you know, kind of portraying him as Trump without the Trump baggage, uh, you know, maybe these two are going to collide. But it's a it's, it's something that uh, an unfolding story here in Florida for the time being. And, uh, you know, looking back at this Sarasota moment, uh, you know, we, we've thought back to Trump had a 2015 Sarasota appearance to a overflow crowd that became kind of a signature moment back when he was among, a, a, you know, at that time, a dozen Republican presidential candidates. But his Sarasota appearance was uh, kind of a breakout moment for a guy that a lot of people looked at as a kind of strange, uh, e- egotistical New York developer who, uh, next thing you know, he became a kind of strange, egotistical New York developer who actually became president. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see uh, if, if uh, Trump and Desantis's relationship uh it continues to, to, to flourish, or whether uh, this is the the sign of uh, a turning point in some way. It's hard to tell. Maybe maybe they can still find that spark again. <laughs> but uh, you know, turning to another uh, development that is really being felt across the Haitian community in Florida, the president of that nation, uh, Juvenel uh was assassinated at his home near Port-au-Prince, uh, Florida. You know, for generations has drawn Haitian immigrants. His his wife, Martine, who was badly wounded in the attack, has been. Brought Brought to South Florida for treatment. Uh you know, Antonio, I'm wondering how how is this community reacting, especially in South Florida?
1: Well, absolute shock. I mean, look, this was a this is just horrific uh assassination on so many levels. You had the president of the country gunned down in his own home, the first lady seriously wounded by gunfire and flown to Miami for surgery, ostensibly to save her life. And look, it also resonates here for a number of reasons. One of which you mentioned is just the the large Haitian expatriate community that we have in, in South Florida and in the state. And then the other reason is Moise himself. And one of the things that he was doing this year is that he was pushing this cons- this new constitution. And there was supposed to be a, a vote on it back in March. It got postponed. It was supposed to be a vote in, at the end of last month, and that also got postponed. But the thing about this new constitution is that it would have bestowed complete dual citizenship on Haitian expatriates in America, even those who are now US residents and US citizens, they would have the opportunity to vote in Haitian elections. They would have the opportunity to hold university jobs in Haiti uh, and ultimately to help finance campaigns. So that would have been a major political win for Haitians here and, and would have to a certain degree You know, I'm not an expert in Haitian politics, but you have to imagine that that would have had an impact politically back in Haiti. So the fact that, you know, the president who had been pushing for this type of dual citizenship for Haitians in Florida and in the U.S. and around the world for that, you know, for him to be murdered. And now that entire process thrown into limbo at the very least, it's a shocker. And and, and and, and with, with consequences and ramifications here at home.
0: Yeah. And and, and this community, as you point out, has become an influential force in Florida. The uh, state's Democratic Party sent out a statement of condolence following the assassination and several state House Democrats whose families are from Haiti, they uh, expressed remorse. Uh, Now, the community at large also has developed relationships with uh, Republican leaders in Florida over the years. And uh, that may play a role in the state stepping up with any immediate aid that could be needed. But uh, clearly, it's uh, it's too early to tell what's next uh, it's a pretty volatile political situation in haiti uh you know obviously after this but even in recent years heading up to this hard to tell but um, hey there's that music again and that can mean only one thing we've got to go back and tell you about those numbers uh ryan you came in with a
2: 45 can you explain Sure. My uh, my 45 is a reference to former President Donald Trump, but it's also a reference to the number of thousands of people that he said was at the rally in Sarasota on Saturday. Um, he put out a statement saying 45,000 patriots in Sarasota, Florida. And um, that sort of brings me to one of the dumber food fights that seems to break out every time Trump has a rally, uh, which is definitely stirred by the president's exaggerated claims of how many people are there. Where you have, you know, his ardent supporters claiming it was the biggest ever. Um, I I think Christian Ziegler said there was at least 40,000 there. And then you have his critics trying to sort of paint a picture of, oh, everyone was bored, people left early. It was, you know, a half full crowd. Um, And really neither of those things are true. The, The rally was preceded by hours and hours and hours of 90 degree weather and then about two hours of downpour rain. And I didn't see the crowd dissipate at all. It really only got stronger. As they waited for Trump to take the stage, despite the pouring rain, the lack of, you know, there's a couple food trucks there, but it's not like there was great amenities for people to enjoy while they waited. It was literally just standing in a field in the rain. Um, But the the Sarasota GOP put the number at 23,000. That's what they said the official count was. I don't know between them, between Trump, between Ziegler. Uh, exactly who was right, but I can, I can definitely assure you that it was in that ballpark. It was many, many, many thousands of people who stood there for hours to wait to hear Trump speak. So, um, you know, the, the exaggerated claims by Trump himself that, you know, have it almost at 50,000 and then the folks who are saying, uh, you know, it was a real bore fest, everyone left, neither of those things I don't think are true.
0: I guess we're, we're still recounting the uh, inaugural crowd. So uh, I guess it's, it's no surprise that the Sarasota numbers are still
2: in uh, dispute, I suppose. Uh, yeah, well, it's an interesting debate because I do think that the folks who are trying to downplay how many people come to these, I'm not quite sure what their goal is, because if they're trying to minimize him as a threat, I don't think it's an effective technique to, you know, to act like no one is going to his rally when thousands of people are.
0: They are there, yeah, uh, great. Antonio, you weighed in with a 41.
1: Yes, that I did, I'm, Yeah, I, I'm gonna stick with the Trump theme here. 41 is the ranking among former presidents that former President Donald Trump got from a C-SPAN survey of historians. Two of the historians that were surveyed were actually from Palm Beach County. One was Dr. Robert Watson, who teaches at Lynn University in Boca Raton, and the other was uh, Professor Wesley Barucki, who teaches at Palm Beach Atlantic University. Now, both of them really diverged on how they viewed Trump. Watson believes Trump should have been dead last. He he had him rated all the way down at 44. had thought Trump was a top 10, in fact, put him number 10. So a pretty wide gap among two historians in Palm Beach County, which tells us that just as controversial, as polarized, and as divided as the country was when Trump was president, we're going to be probably that polarized, that divided on how we assess him as a, as a former president and his ranking in, in history. Now, if you're wondering, hey, wait a minute, you the 44 presidents, but Biden's the 46th president. Well, let me just point out that Yes, Biden was not included because he is the current president. He's not a former president. But even though we've had 45 presidents, we've only had 44 individuals serve in the office. One of them, Grover Grover Cleveland, uh, had two non-consecutive terms, so he counts twice. That's why you have 44 former presidents, not 45. But the question is, where do you rank Trump? Watson had him at dead last at 44 among former presidents, and Baruchi had him number 10. You pick. (laughs)
0: <laughs> with the grover cleveland asterisk uh attached i guess somehow so well tr- trump's controversial coming in the door and going out the door i suppose so And Antonio, Ryan, I had a 28, which is the the number of congressional districts Florida will have next year based on new census figures. But uh, Republicans would like that Florida congressional representation to to look a little more red than it currently is uh, at 16 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And uh, there's one vacancy following the death of uh, Democratic Congressman Alcee Hastings earlier this year. Uh, Politico had a national story this week about how cracking Democratic districts, especially those in big urban areas, basically redrawing maps so that, you know, Democrats may not be favored to win in big city districts with large progressive and minority voting bases. Um, While Politico is, is, is looking at the effort being considered in states like Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri. I mean, even Nebraska, the, the the same strategy really could wind up in play here in Florida. Just like those states, uh, Republicans control the legislature here, and they, they realize that a few extra congressional seats can uh, turn control of the U.S. House over to Republicans again. Um, Florida is gaining one additional congressional seat uh, through population increases. But really, that's the smallest number that the state is adding since 1940. And uh, a lot of people think that the DeSantis administration is partially to blame for not being more aggressive and getting all communities to complete census data, especially as the COVID-19 pandemic started taking hold. But, uh, you know, so they think we're undercounted, basically. But um, that's hard to say. The final, more detailed census data is expected next month. And the legislature in September is planning to uh, begin its uh, early steps toward redrawing congressional and legislative district boundaries but uh cracking some of those democratic districts could uh again be well you know, part of that equation for ruling Republicans. Uh, Orlando area representative Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat, she may be watching. Uh, so, too, could a, a bunch of Broward County Democrats that are packed into decidedly Democratic-leaning districts. And then, of course, the the St. Petersburg area seat held by Congressman Charlie Crist. Uh, he's a Democrat running for governor next year. That's uh, almost certain to be made more Republican-friendly, uh, probably resulting in a Republican pickup there a lot of people think so there's a, there's a lot in play um uh, florida's already heavy uh, republican congressional balance you know after the 22 elections could get even redder, it looks like. But, um, well, that, that's all the time we have for this week on Inside Florida Politics. We appreciate you uh, hanging with us through some of our audio issues with uh, people from remote locations. That's always a challenge. But uh, I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, Chandler Heffel, who put this show together for us. He's filling in for our usual producer, Thomas Gordy, who is on assignment this week. And uh, thank you all to for listening and joining in with us. Uh, it's July and hurricane season, but remember, stay cool, Florida.